Broadcast Excellence underway here on WBT. Guest hosting for the affable, lovable Keith Callender. I'm your guest host, Chad Adams. Give us a call, 704-570-1110, 570-1110, here at News Talk 1110-993, WBT. Big thanks to the staff, as always, that make it work, make it sound so good. Rain moved out of the area, moving east. So, guess what? It's going to feel a little chillier out there. Who knows? We might actually have winter again in March. There's a couple of climatologists out there saying, hey, hey don't, don't put the coats away yet. March is yet to arrive. So a lot could happen there. Now, I want to get to a couple things. And by the way, you're always welcome. Whatever you want to talk about will come first. You are welcome to do that. Do so. Now, and, and I, I didn't really know which direction I wanted to take these two. These two, both of them are, I think, relevant. Both of these perspectives are something that, that that's on our minds. And we it's not often, if you want to really snooze fest people, talk about, especially if you're a conservative talk show host, you talk about climate change in any kind of meaningful way. It's just, it's click. You can hear, you can hear it. You can hear car radios turning off. So uh, we're going to take a different tact on that and, and talk about kind of the, a little bit different perspective. We're not going to talk about it directly, kind of indirectly, but I also want to get into the disinformation situation because that's someone that people are keenly interested in. They're tired of it. They're sick of it. And the accusation that anything that is a conservative perspective is innately misinformation, disinformation, or untrue. Now, that came about because there's a, a, a desire by fact-checking organizations that's now been proven that it had a completely leftward tilt. And I say that Michael Barone, now I've met Michael on several occasions. He's a, he's a, a, a wonderful speaker and and he's been around for decades. He's one of the few people, if you ever got to know him, who had been at the time, this was probably in the early 2000s, he had visited every single congressional district in the country. And it was like it was like talking to Rain Man when you could say, hey, what about the 5th District in Ohio? And he could tell you kind of the demographics of that district and, and some of the places that were in it. You could, uh, what about Iowa? What about, I don't know, Nevada? He, he had been to all of them. He's a great commentator. He's been around for a long time. So this is at the Washington Examiner. Uh, here's what he had to say. How many people believe, really believe in freedom of speech? Or as Justice Oliver Wendell Holmes wrote, not just free thought for those of us who agree with us, but freedom for the thought that we hate. The answer is not as many as I suppose before reading the Washington Examiner's Gabe Kaminsky's series exposing disinformation, Inc. The first article was on February 9th, described how well-funded disinformation tracking groups are part of a stealth operation blacklisting and trying to defund conservative media but i'll tell you what we'll do we got we got some calls we'll get to i can get to this later calls always important don welcome to the show how are you today what's going on i hear you're a fan of kamala's don i have said all along since she was elected every time she opens her mouth one has a hard time trying to decipher what she's trying to say so i said all along if she were of native American descent that uh, her given name would probably something along the lines of one who speaks often but says nothing. <laughs> she does like to repeat herself. We like buses because they're buses and people love buses because they've been on buses since they were kids and the buses bus people. It's just, it is this, this <laughs> circular yeah. logic that, that ends up nowhere and you don't know where you started because you're right back. You know, you're like, wait a minute. Did she, did she you know, you almost question yourself because you can't believe she's that bad. 
But, exactly. Uh, and if you had a symbol, of course, it would be a circle because it always leads back to the same spot. It does. You know, this, this wide-eyed exuberance that ends up in, in, in uncomfortable laughter and the audience doesn't know whether to clap, cry, or laugh. So it's a – and I appreciate the call, Don. I mean, at least yeah. you're paying attention, right? <laughs> so, Don, appreciate that. Larry, welcome to the show. How the heck are you today? Hey, Brother Chad. How you doing? It's Larry Pittman. I, uh, well, Representative, good to hear from you. How the heck are you? I'm okay for an old guy. A little frustrated that I can't do anything about <laughs> a what's little. going on in Raleigh right now. But, yeah, uh, man. You know, I'm trying to have some influence. But, of course, first I want to say, there ain't no better, better on the radio than Chad. I would wow. just love you wow. and appreciate you so much and wish we could hear more of you. Well, uh, uh, much appreciated there, Representative. But about the vaccine crap, you know, uh, of course, I ran a bill to uh, prohibit vaccine mandates when I was in Raleigh, uh, 2021, and it was not allowed to be heard. Um, now, wait, wait, wait. Before now, you go on, Representative Pittman, uh, you ran yeah. that bill. The Republicans were in the majority, by the way. So it wasn't – you yeah. can't say that de- – this is your own party stopping you from running the bill. Yeah, Tim Moore would not let it be heard. The uh, yeah. chairs of the – uh, health committee were talking with me about it, and about the third time I met with them, they said, we got word from the Speaker's office, we can't hear the bill. You know, Part of that is because he knew I never supported him to be Speaker, <laughs> and part of it was because I was going to apply it to businesses, and he's scared of offending them. You know, Sure. But uh, I know people personally who have lost loved ones to the shot. And um, just an example, we have a young man in my church who uh, grandma was 75 years old, had never, you know, she wasn't having any kind of problems. She went and got the shot because everybody said she needed to. She went back and got a booster, and within five days, she had a bunch of mini strokes, and then she had a massive stroke that killed a third of her brain, and she died two days later. And the doctor said it was a shot that killed her. And there's just stuff happening all over the place. All these young people, you know, dropping down on the floor with the heart m- messing up on them in a basketball game and stuff like that. I, you know, they won't say most of the time whether they've had the shot or not, but I suspect a lot of cases it is. But um, Tammy and I refused to get the shot, and we've had the virus twice. But we were fortunate enough to get in touch with a doctor in another part of the state who um, first time he got us ivermectin and a Z-Pak, and the second time he got us ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine and knocked it out in three days. And that's what they need to be doing for people is that kind of thing instead of forcing them to get the shot. And I think well, I'm not a, who I, got fired because he didn't get the shot should be able to sue whoever fired him. I'm not uh, about to speak as a medical expert to any of this. I think that people ought to do their research. They ought to, uh, they really, this is a time, if ever there was an era of personal responsibility, it's now. People need to yep. read, get informed, uh, have discussions, uh, get get straight with their doctors and stuff. My mother, I haven't discussed this, my mother died of COVID-related issues. She was fully vaxxed, fully boosted completely, mm-hmm. and I believe strongly that medical errors led to her death, and I think the treatment that was used on her after she contracted it led ultimately to her death and shut her kidneys down mm-hmm. and killed her. Uh, and I, I, that's my belief. I've documented all. I documented the entirety of that case online for anybody who wants to go back and read that. But but certainly the medical community, many there are great doctors out there that were trying to get heard and weren't allowed to because there was only one way of looking at things that was allowed to proliferate. And you articulated that well. But there were many doctors saying, hey, there are other ways. We just need to be 
more cognizant of and use our immune systems and treat things. If you weren't 300 pounds or you weren't overweight, you didn't have a compromised immune system. You know, there was different things. You didn't need to go inoculating all these 18 year olds out there. It was, it was crazy. It's a crazy time. Well, I appreciate you standing up for the truth like you always do. And like I said, I wish you could be permanent on the radio where we can get you. Well, uh, Representative, thank you for, I mean, the audience, the WBT audience has been great to me. Great host here at WBT and the staff. Thank you for the phone call, okay? God bless you. Thank you. Uh, Representative Larry Pittman, uh, uh, those calls are humbling. And I, I, look, I I love doing this and and, and I've always enjoyed it. It is is a a passion I've had and and being able to communicate because you're part madman. If you think about being a radio host a little bit, you're talking, you're almost talking to yourself. If you saw a host in the studio talking to the microphone, they're literally having a good conversation with themselves. And you have to wonder. I know all of you out there, you're wondering, I wonder if they talk to themselves when they're driving. I wonder if they talk to themselves, you know, when they're just sitting around their house. You know, but really for me, I do I do the same research whether I'm on the air or not on a day-to-day basis. I post most of it. But I, I'm constantly – I love to have my belief systems challenged. I love to – part of what I did years ago – with the John Locke Foundation was go and help local government solve problems. Look at innovative solutions to solve problems and save taxpayer monies and increase rights for citizens. And there was a lot that could be done there instead of hiring, you know, absurdly expensive consultants and stuff. Much more to go. We haven't finished up the disinformation article. We got more to talk about white noise and climate. With us right now, I believe Jane is on the line. Jane, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? so much by uh, listening to you in the state. You know, we here in Charlotte know nothing there. We always find out after everything is done. And I wish, I'd like people to call into the management and to Pete Callender, asking if he would have you on every week for at least a half hour, an hour, and give us an update what's going on in the state, because we need to be an informed voter, and we can't, most of the time, you ask anybody here, we don't have a clue. And, and that's not how it should be. We should be able to be informed. And I think if we ask Pete, call in and ask Pete to get you on the show and the management, that would help. But I think you should start something all around the state, make some money off of it. You're a smart guy, but you know all this information. You might as well use it and, and get some, and maybe get some monetary uh, value out of it. But you are very smart, and we need somebody to inform us of what's going on in the state. And if we don't have it, then we're not a good voter. Well, Jane, I, you know, I, 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 I am poor at reacting. I appreciate the compliment. I, I take that as, as a compliment. I appreciate you listening. Pete is a great guy, very bright guy. He's, been, he's done a great, great deal of work here in this market and in other markets and here and, and even had a podcast online. So, you know, great people, great staff. I've been blessed to be a part of many markets and, and had a show for many years. And you're right. The one thing that's problematic about the state is from a regional approach, Many media sources are simply not covering the state house. There were years. There were years ago. I'd say about twenty years ago, twenty five years ago. You could go to the state house, and there's a press room inside the legislative building. If you walk down through the halls, you could see it's kind of a long, narrow corridor on both sides of this hallway, and it allowed all the local newspapers in the state. They would send somebody up there and cover what's going on in the legislature, and they would report back to their local newspapers. If you go up there now, there's maybe four people in those chambers because all of the newspapers is consolidated. A lot of newspapers are out of business. A lot of press, they just don't send people to cover Raleigh. So now so much of what happens up there happens in darkness and it is only comes out as a result of, you know, some progressive organization like the, the blue NC or something, or a conservative group like John Locke or something like that. But, but by and large, most of what transpires in the legislature Unless it's a big story that WREL or the the Charlotte Observer or WBT covers, 
it doesn't get it doesn't get discussed. And there's a lot that's happening up there that doesn't get discussed. So to that end, it's it, it's a lot of information. It's tough to get it out there. But I appreciate the call and I appreciate the compliment. So thank you, Jane, for the call here at WBT. Boy, great audience. You guys are fantastic. I, you know, if you ever want to feel right, that, that, I think Rich Jenny used to say, or one of the comedians, you know, would walk out on stage and everyone would clap. And they said, and I'm paraphrasing whoever said it, was one of the greatest reasons to be a comedian is because that's all you have. To, what a great day. You just walk out and everybody claps. And that's what it feels like to be a part of the WBT team is when you just walk on stage and that microphone goes on, the audience, it's a great audience. Agree or disagree. There are people that call in. Those people are appreciated as well. So it's a great audience. It serves a fantastic purpose in society, especially in this market. And, you know, you guys are fantastic and appreciate it. Now, to that end, again, phone calls, if you want to get in, it's 704-570-1110. Always, always, always callers make, make the show work. I want to get back to this perspective on what happened with fact-checking because many in media, this is a Michael Barone piece at the Washington Examiner, and he's reviewing something called Disinformation Inc. And it turns out, this is great, as with many media fact-checkers, so with Disinformation Inc., it turns out that all errors and falsehoods in journalism come from one end of the political spectrum. It's not the political left. And that's what fact-checkers only check things from the right. One key outfit is the Global Disinformation Index based in Britain. Two affiliated U.S.-based nonprofit groups, GDI produces a dynamic exclusion list rating media outlets on disinformation risk. It says it wants to suppress content that is, quote, morally reprehensible or patently inoffensive without redeeming social value. Its exclusion list includes the Washington Examiner and its 10 risk its outfits are all on the political right like the American Spectator, the American Conservative, Real Clear Politics, and the New York Post. The CEO, Claire Medford, said that topics on which the group identified disinformation include COVID vaccination, masking rules, abortion, alleged voter fraud. Those are all issues on which there is robust disagreement on both facts and moral values. Unsurprisingly, GDI gives least risky ratings to sources that include the New York Times, the Washington Post, the Associated Press, BuzzFeed, and Huffington Post, despite the fact that BuzzFeed was the first to publish the fraudulent Steele dossier, charging former Trump and collusion with Russia with collusion, and Huffington Post charged uh, the same October 2020 New York Post story on Hunter Biden's laptop was Russian disinformation, even though it was subsequently confirmed. The conclusions that conservative outlets peddle disinformation and left-leaning outfits are reliable has been cast in doubt by two of the biggest stories of calendar year 2023. Columbia Journalism's Review did a four-part series on the New York Times, showed it's got a problem, and Matt Taibbi and Michael Schellenberger also investigating on the Twitter files and showed a bunch of stuff that's going on. So the issue is we know that the principles of Disinformation Inc. has been exposed. Trump's presidency, however you view it, was not a Nazi regime. His opponents have twisted and concealed the truth about as often and arguably more effectively than he has. Stamping out robust political debate is an ugly business, the kind of thing that can happen when you suppress the speech of those you disagree with and thoughts you hate. The founding fathers had a better idea. So the left has done a great job of suppressing and trying to say, hey, all these people, people that call to this and have questions about masking or vaccines, they weren't. They're not trying to peddle misinformation. They're trying to get to the truth. And here's what makes it worse. When people try to suppress people like that, why are they doing that? If you have the truth on your side, you welcome the debate. If the truth is on your side, you debate things. 
That's what makes us great. That's what makes it better. Bring the debate on. Let's have these great societal debates. A debate, a society that challenges itself will move forward. I mean, think about if we had really pushed ourselves on all this alternative energy crap back in the 80s and 90s, instead of just saying, shut up, let's subsidize it, it would be better now, not worse. Government, again, I'll say the same thing I said. I'll say it. I've said it for years, decades even. Government is not there to solve problems. This whole ideology that government solves problems is just untrue. It's a complete fabrication. It doesn't. It hasn't. It won't. And if you hang your hat on that, you're hanging it on air. It's just going to fall to the ground. We've had a great day together, you and I and all the folks out there that are having a great day. Making the economy work, creating jobs, creating opportunities for people, hopefully taking advantage of some of those to, to help your fellow man. And it's okay to say that when I mean man, mankind, that includes everybody. It's not an exclusionary way of saying things. Having said that, uh, Chad Adams here sitting in for Pete Counter, and I think Stan's on the line. Stan, welcome to the show. How the heck are you? Hi, Chad. How are you doing today? I am fantastic. How the heck are you? Well, oh, I, I'm enjoying you sitting in for Pete Callender. No, no offense, Pete. I like Pete, too. But uh, both of you just bring a different uh, perspective. I ha- but I have a question I want to ask you. As the sure. government encourages the crime wave, uh, people are more and more having a tendency to take their own defense in their own hands. Um, and you can see this by in the last 10 years. There was, 10 years ago, there was like one state that had a constitutional carry as law of the land. And now there's 25. And we're seeing that play out now, both in uh, North Carolina and South Carolina state legislatures, as the uh, House just yesterday approved a bill that would eliminate gun permits. My question is, uh, having to get gun permits to your local sheriff. Uh, My question is, it's got to go to the Senate and then on to the House, and then on to the governor for his signature. Uh, North Carolina has a, a, it's lacking one vote to have a veto-proof majority. What do you think the chances are that this will get passed and into law uh, since that's the case in North Carolina? Okay, Stan, you, you, you put a lot in there, so I'm going to try to interpret that for the folks that aren't as familiar. And what you're talking about is there there's a new bill that went through the House that basically the sheriffs right now are supposed to sign off on everyone's character that gets a permit, so they don't have to do that anymore. You still have to go through all the federal uh, loops and, and hoops to get through there. But the House passed that bill, and they passed it with a veto-proof majority. So they're, they, they are lacking by one vote of having a veto-proof majority, and they were able to pass that. So they got it through there. And we're able to, so their version of it went over to the Senate, but the Senate also passed theirs. I didn't know if you had heard that or not, but the Senate passed theirs. Yeah, they passed theirs in 29 to 19. It was a party line vote on the Senate side. So that would allow folks with a concealed weapons permit, separate from the pistol purchase permit, to carry a gun while attending religious services at a private school or some charter schools. Permitted gun owners can already carry one at a church building if the congregation allows it but they you know they're trying to get rid of the sheriff being a part of things it's a lot of responsibility for the sheriff to sign off it also uh, creates and funds a two-year education program on the safe storage of firearms it has uh, some common sense law stuff in it Um, but they were able to get it through they tried to pass it before it didn't make it but republicans did make enough like i said they had the, the one vote that they they didn't have but they did get enough democrats to help them get it across the line so here's the interesting thing i know i mumbled through that but the point is so they will reconcile that they've got to decide what they're going to put in front of the governor so that they don't lose any democrats when it comes back 
If the, if the governor said what they present to the governor, he's going to have to make a choice. Does he veto it and have a chance to get overridden, or does he veto it and, and harass enough of the Democrats that voted for it to be able to uh, keep that in place? Now, remember the original law passed back in, what, I think, 1919 or something like that. The original law really was a Jim Crow thing to prevent blacks from getting guns. And so sheriffs had to sign. It was really this archaic 100-plus-year-old legislation that now it's odd that Democrats, the Democrats that put it in were trying to keep blacks from being armed, and now they're they're completely forgetting that part of history and saying, oh, this is bad and more people are going to die. Right. So I think it'll pass. I mean, it passed the Senate. It's passed the House. They just have to figure out how to reconcile and what they're going to put on the governor's desk. And, you know, if if they can carry the veto override, which apparently there were enough Democrats over there. There were a few to say, OK, we're, we're, we're not going to be budging on it. So it'll probably pass. So, so, so going forward, what do, you, what do you think the chances are that actually becoming law? I'd say about 85 percent. 85. Well, well, that's great. Well, cool. I appreciate your insights. Well, I say that. Now, here with this caveat, the governor is not as powerful now. He's a lame duck governor. He's term limited. So his power's waning. What he can do to the future of Democrats is very limited. Also, remember that Josh Stein, who's the aspiring governor, and Roy Cooper, who's the current governor, are two of the Democrats that endorsed the current, the, the previous Democrat chair who lost election. Every major Democrat endorsed the establishment Democrat candidate, and they got beaten by a 25-year-old female. So their power is certainly in question by the grassroots Democrats of this state. So the governor's power is very limited. His ability to threaten people in the House with any kind of political ramifications has very much weakened him. So I, I don't think Democrats in the House are as afraid. So I think it's about an 85% chance it'll, it'll, it'll pass. Well, well, well Jensen, I appreciate your insights at the, about, about the state government level. I appreciate your show. appreciate you being on. Well, thank you. And by the way, six Democrats in the House supported it, and that's why it got over the hump. So appreciate the call, Stan. As always, we appreciate all calls. So there we go. And, uh, you know, Stan, appreciate the call. Now, getting on, we, we went through the kind of disinformation stuff. It's ugly, but there is. A, but I want to get to one, and, and it's going to take a while. I'm, I'm trying to decide whether I want to get to it now because it's or later. I'll tell you what I'll do. I'll do a little bit of more fun stuff here um, because if for, for those of you, so this will be fun, and then we'll do the, the anxiety one at the end. I don't know why I want to leave you on a Friday with an anxiety story. I don't think that's good good policy, but 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 I'll do it nonetheless because I think it's important and it's a longer thing. So if you've heard of Chat Chat GPT, so Chat GPT is an artificial intelligence that Google has made part of its um, part of its operating system. So you can you can go to it. It's a computer program by artificial intelligence, open AI. It simulates human conversation and can answer questions. You can interview it. So someone did, and here's uh you know some of the some of the ideas that are out there. I don't want to give you the good ones. I want to give you the scary ones. The negative ones, so they ask some very serious questions. Like they ask this artificial intelligence, what about as AI becomes, you know, more advanced? This is about job displacement. As artificial intelligence becomes more advanced, it may be able to automate many tasks that are currently done by humans, which would result in job loss. What about bias and discrimination? If AI systems are trained on biased data, they may perpetuate evil and amplify societal biases. Lack of transparency. AI systems can be difficult to understand, which would make it hard for people to know how decisions are being made and to hold AI accountable. Now, these answers are from an AI. They're not from a person. 
They're from a computer program that has biases built into it, by the way. Many people have asked it about climate change and other things. It's already got the biases built into the program. And all these AI systems are going to grow and proliferate and become more a part of your day-to-day life and decision-making. What about privacy? Should we have privacy concerns? The answer from the AI, the collection and use of personal data by AI systems could raise privacy concerns and could lead to the abuse of information. What about a lack of public understanding? If people don't understand how AI works, they may be less likely to trust them or use them. What about ethical dilemmas? So you ask an artificial intelligence about ethics. AI systems may be used in ways that raise many ethical questions, especially with military and surveillance. What about human interactions? Increased use of AI could lead to a decrease in human interaction, which would have negative effects on mental health. In other words, the agno- what's so detached from this, it's very Ray Bradbury. It's very much this kind of stuff from the 50s and 60s, Isaac Asimov. I mean, you remember, you'll remember this. The most clear-cut example of this in popular media was 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm sorry, I can't do that, Dave. You remember that. The AI that was supposed to help them ended up not really caring about them. It's very agnostic on your... AI doesn't care about your life and death. It doesn't have an emotional attachment to you. It never will. It can't. There is no soul there. It's a soulless way of doing things. Kind of like the government. <laughs> a completely soulless way of dealing with things. And it's only as good as the program. It's not. And then once it starts teaching itself, humans become very much irrelevant to the moving forward for the AI. Just something to keep in mind. I'm not anti-technology, but I am and should be. You all should be concerned about the degree to which it is important in your life. Human interactions, human decision-making, we're flawed enough. Imagine something that doesn't even have the capability of having a soul. <laughs> now, with us right now, Stacy. Welcome to the show, Stacy. You had some uh, some things to say, and appreciate you calling in. All right, thank you for letting me do that. Um, the, the permit process is just the overreach of the government because even when you go without it, even when you go, you have the digital process to do the federal background. And so that's not needed. But I'm of the opinion if you're a law-abiding citizen and can legally purchase a gun, you don't even need this concealed carry permit. The concealed carry permit is another taxation and overreach of the government you should be carry you should be able to carry a firearm anywhere you want to carry it i don't understand it because when a police officer approaches you he approaches you as if you potentially have a weapon anyway and so as you see all of these situations throughout the country and the world is that Law-abiding citizens are always the victims because the criminal is always going to have their weapon in places where they technically are not supposed to. Well, let me clarify for the listeners here. North Carolina is an open carry state. So anybody that can legally... A lot of people don't realize that. They they confuse open carry with concealed carry. Those are two different processes. So every citizen who can legally own a firearm... You just have to be 18 years of age with no felony convictions. Open carry is legal. Uh, there's not even a limit on weapon caliber size or magazine capacity in North Carolina. The only thing, and you can do that, but you cannot do so. You know, there are off-limit areas depending on where you are in North Carolina, and you can't carry it on private property or businesses that post a no weapon sign. But that's a private property decision, right? You would support that. The private sure. property doesn't want you to. Okay. 
Absolutely, but what I don't support is on the open carry is on these really cold, blustery days, and you've got on a big jacket, a jacket, and your yeah. open and your open carry gun is underneath the jacket. You are now carrying concealed, and yeah. um, it's not always appropriate for a female who's wearing a dress to be able sure. to fashion the gun to her side. And, and my point of it is this is that there shouldn't be any limits on law-abiding citizens. I mean, it's part of your constitutional right to bear arms and shouldn't be infringed upon. I'm okay with certain reasonable, you know, situations like courts and things like that. I, I do. I understand that. But this Schools whole, and, 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 you know, organized sporting events, things of that nature. Absolutely. But... The, the the permitting process itself, there's no reason for it because you have this vast federal database, whether you've been red flagged, involuntary committed, felony, whatever, you're going to get popped. Now, lest anybody in the audience, lest anybody in the audience think Stan's just, you know, swallowing some kind of NRA Kool-Aid, he's not. What he's saying is he's warning you that the tyranny of the the, the, the original founding fathers were very concerned about a, a, an omnipresent fascist kind of government. They were concerned about that because they were breaking away from the most powerful government on the planet at the time. So that concern is what stands echoing because once the federal government has all of this data, they can use any kind of mechanism to disarm that individual. So Stan's arguing against the encroachment of the government into the privacy of your life via that process. So if you're, you know, you get the concealed carry, all of this is on there and they can just say, Hey, he's, he's incompetent. Let's take it away. And, and that would be, you know, that's the way you disarm people that are probably better at using them and, and, and probably more at, careful at using them. And you can look at what's going on in, in, in Mecklenburg County. I, I've listened to the sheriff, and, and I'll give credence to some things that he says, that he has taken it upon himself to add layers of government and loopholes that have to be cleared in order for you to get your permit in Mecklenburg County without it going through the legislature and without it being approved that he does that, that's the reason why, because he chooses to do that. That's the problem is that he or a sheriff gets to choose a lot of the mechanisms in which they issue the permits, and that's why it should be done away with. Well, well, the Sheriff's Association did support the re repeal. This is kind of interesting in the North Carolina stuff. They did support the repeal, but the current president of the Sheriff's Association didn't support the repeal. So, you know, I, Stan, I appreciate the call. I appreciate you sharing your viewpoint. Thanks yeah, for thank listening. Thank you, and I appreciate it. Thank you so much. See, this is the, the great – these are the kind of debates we need to have. There's always this assertion that the gun owners are the bad ones. Oftentimes, it's, you know, if you make it – and it, I'm going to sound – this is not meant to sound the way it's going to come across because it's not, uh, there's no, I'm not trying to undermine the severity of horrific violent acts that takes place, that take place in this society. They do. There's too many of them. They happen too often. That that's a problem. The assertion that responsible gun owners are the ones committing them is wrong. However, and oftentimes it's the good guy with a gun that stops the bad guy with a gun. If you make gun laws restrictive enough, there are two types of people that will own guns. Only two. In a restrictive enough society where guns can be confiscated and taken away, the only people that will own them will be the people in government and the criminals. 
I mean, drug cartels love gun control laws. They have their own militias. They don't care because the laws are largely irrelevant. If you're a criminal, laws are irrelevant to you. Now, if you get caught, you serve the time or you can get away or you can get through the system and fall through the cracks. You know, it's it's really gamed in that way. But but having a reasonable way to defend yourself makes sense. Always has made sense. Why it's enshrined. It's not, you know, having a cannon in your front yard. It's not, you know, it's 1776. You could. Very powerful device, by the way. We appreciate. Look, I appreciate you listening. Uh, Pete will return. WBT, great. You, the audience, always fantastic. Always a pleasure to sit here. The time just flies by. And just for those listening, I'll be on Brett Winterbull's time slot Monday, President's Day, as Pete will be back. Folks, have a fantastic weekend. Enjoy it. It was a pleasure. <laughs>